Welcome to Volume Up, Uncovering Asia, brought to you by St. James's Place in Asia. Helen Maguire is the CEO and co-founder of Diversity, a platform that assesses and improves workplace diversity using AI. Helen is an award-winning entrepreneur in the diversity space. She founded the first women's careers platform in the Middle East, Hopscotch.work, in 2016 and expanded into Singapore in 2018. Helen began her career in London, achieving her dream role at BBC Radio 1 and presented her own monthly radio programme. Helen also DJs and wrote for top music publications. Helen is a mother to three young children and lives with her husband Justin and the English Bulldog in Singapore. Helen is a passionate speaker, writer and photographer, proud part-time vegan and loves fashion, horses and travel. My name is Batya Shulman and this is the St. James's Place podcast, Volume Up, Uncovering Asia with today's guest, Helen Maguire. To our new listeners out there, this series is all about uncovering some interesting stories from our clients, contacts and business partners across the St. James's Place Network in Asia. I hope that you enjoy it. Helen, welcome and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Battery. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thanks very much for having me along. Okay, so let's get started. Helen, you have an incredibly interesting background. Um, <laughs> so why don't you start off and tell us a little bit about yourself and, and how you found yourself in Asia? Yeah, so I think you did a brilliant job of introducing, so thank you. Um, it is a very interesting background, and I can honestly say um, that that I feel it's interesting purely because I have really just followed my my passions and my heart along the way, um, and you know, actually taken several pay cuts uh, to to make several left hand turns, as you uh, as you summarised a little bit in the introduction there. Um, but I worked for ten years at the BBC, and then subsequently um, six years in digital. Um, advertising and communications and when I had my first baby in um, 2014 I realized how uh, unfair really the market was um, towards women this was before kind of hashtag me too and um, before the kind of feminine movement that, that came out of the states um, a little bit later than that and I was really seeing so many of my colleagues my friends women that I met at the time uh, not able to return to the workplace after having kids or perhaps moving to the Middle East where I was based then um, with their partners or, you know, all the other myriad responsibilities um, that come with being a woman. Um, and I felt that was completely unfair and kind of made a huge switch towards trying to solve that particular problem. And as you mentioned, Hopscotch was the solution to that at that time. And we did some great work. Um, we worked with uh, multiple uh, businesses, you know, huge businesses you'll have heard of, like Facebook and Nestle and HSBC and so on, to help them get more women back into the workplace um, through initiatives and recruitment and training. And that really led me to Asia. Um, we expanded the platform here in 2018. 
uh, and carried on the work and, and ended up with about 80,000 women in the network. Um, but ultimately, I felt really frustrated um, by that business, by the business model. I'm talking from an, an entrepreneurial perspective. Um, it wasn't super scalable. It was very, um, very focused on, on me and where I was at that particular time. And I really just felt that we were only scratching the surface of the problem. Number one, we were only, um, you know, helping women. And, uh, you know, th there are many other underrepresented groups out there who are also unfairly discriminated against in the workplace. And secondly, um, you know, we, we simply weren't able to scale the solution. Um, and, and that's really kind of what's led me to, to where I am right now. Thank you. Thanks for sharing. And what that inspired you really to become an entrepreneur? Um, you've, you've got such a young family. Uh, don't you think it would have been easier, you know, staying in a secure job with fixed hours and fixed salary? Um, I mean, you've certainly chosen the hard way. Yeah, I think I, I'm fairly uncomfortable in my comfort zone. Let's put it that way. I mean, I had a very secure job at the BBC for 10 years and, and actually had a staff contract, which if anybody knows anything about broadcast is like gold dust, really. Most people are on sort of six month or 12 month um 12 month contracts but I had a permanent staff contract and, and chose to leave that because I just um didn't feel that I was growing in that role anymore and I achieved really what I what I wanted to achieve um the same when I moved into digital advertising I had a great role at, at the biggest um advertising agency in the world BBDO um in the Middle East and you know had done something had built a team around a concept that, that didn't previously exist there um, but again, felt that I'd reached as far as I could in that role and became very frustrated with that. Um, and look, I come from a very entrepreneurial background. Um, probably the majority of my close family members have their own businesses or had their own businesses at some point. Uh, my dad is an entrepreneur. His dad was an entrepreneur. My sister um, my my husband, um, many of his family members. So you could kind of say it's sort of in my blood, really. And it's something I'd always said I wanted to do. I'd always said I want to do something for myself. I want to work for myself. It's just where I always saw myself going. Um, did I envisage it, you know, kicking off a business uh, when I was seven months pregnant? No. I mean, that is probably not ideal for anybody. But, you know, the time was then and, you, you know, timing is everything in business, as I'm sure you know, and many of your listeners will will know whether you're an entrepreneur or not. Um, so I just went for it and kind of took a leap off the deep end and never looked back. Uh, and yeah, you know, I've had to take a 50% pay cut. I'm still at a 50% pay cut um, from where I was when I started that business. But do I have any regrets? Absolutely not. But no regrets. <laughs> none, none at all. Because I think, you know, I've learned so much. I've grown so much. Um, I'm doing what I love. I get out of bed every morning, super excited to tackle that. Well, I say every morning, probably not every morning. <laughs> anyone who's an entrepreneur, there are days when you just think, oh, my God, what am I doing? Um, but, you know, I have learned an inordinate amount, met incredible people, um, and I feel like I'm doing something that really makes a difference. And that is what is absolutely key for me. What, what have been the biggest challenges being an entrepreneur? Um, 
God, there are so many. I think you just have to be very, very open to um, tackling everything. And look, when, when I started Hopscotch, I did it basically on my own. So my husband and I, he has a recruitment um, business and, and um, experience. So he kind of kicked it off from that perspective. But it very quickly became my baby. Um, and I ran it day to day for those, those four and a half, five years. Um, and hit many, many roadblocks along the way. I mean, I, I had another baby, um, so I have three kids, as you said. Um, and again, that was incredibly challenging. Um, launching in an entirely new space in, in Asia was also a huge challenge because the needs of this region are very different from a, a DNI and, and gender perspective than the Middle East. Um, so you're constantly challenged. You're constantly having to um, course correct. You know. Um, and thankfully, the business that I'm I'm working on now, um, I have a co-founder, which was an extremely deliberate choice, because I couldn't have, have have launched this business without without my co-founder. She comes from a tech background, which is obviously not my background. Um, and I've seen, you know, how much more you can achieve when you have somebody um, who you work incredibly well with side by side. So we're a brilliant team. And again, that's a huge learning, you know, as an entrepreneur, as a business owner. You cannot and you should not do everything yourself. You should focus on your, um, you know, on your strengths and everything else. You should either delegate or pay someone else to do. So you say part of the success is finding the right co-founder. 100%. Yeah. So I actually joined a startup accelerator, um, a tech startup accelerator in January of 2020. It's called Antler. And the purpose behind that is to find a co-founder with a complementary skill set to yours. So mine is clearly in, in the comms and the commercial space, uh, whether it's, you know, communications, marketing, sales, branding, um, positioning, all of that kind of stuff. My co-founder, Hayley, um, comes from a technical and finance background. So we're kind of the perfect mix, really. I mean, there are a couple of things that we miss, obviously, as a team. You're never going to cover everything. Um, but it's really allowed us to supercharge our, our growth and our progress. Um, and, you know, we're also both very passionate about DNI. She She was the XMD of Girls in Tech um, here in Singapore and Vietnam. So, yeah, you know, we, we have the same vision and the same mission, um, but come at it with, with slightly different brains, let's say. <laughs> I'm going to ask something controversial, but we're talking mm -hmm. about diversity and inclusion, so I may as well. Both you and Hayley um, are, are women. Yeah. Have you found it challenging being two women co-founders or have you actually found that it worked in your favor yeah no it's a really good question and I tell you something that is a question that nobody would have asked a couple of years ago because <laughs> as a female founder or even two female founders uh, that fact in itself would have been enough um to you know tick the boxes where where diversity is concerned i think over the last 18 months and 18 months and thankfully so we've seen such a huge shift um away from it you know just being focused on gender and now you know ethnicity age disability um sexual orientation all come into play where dni is concerned so yeah we do not tick the boxes i mean um we are two white female um founders there's about 10 years between us. So you might say we tick a kind of age box slightly. Um, <laughs> and we both come from fairly middle-class backgrounds. You know, we're both university educated and so on. So no, it's a completely valid question. And 
the way that we approach this is number one, we're building tech to solve the problem. So this is not us. This is not our input. This is not our, um, you know, our personal data going into uh, into what we're building. Um, we have four years of, of job ad bias data, for example, from the University of Nottingham, um, funded by the UK government, which is feeding our algorithm. So this is not mine and Haley's opinion on the whole thing um, that's making this possible. And secondly, we've set up a global um, advisory board um, and we have six members who come from varying backgrounds. Um, so Jane Evans is one of them. She's just released a book around ageism. Um, and she is, um, you know, an absolute force in the world of advertising. Um, she is a midlife lady, um, as, she, as she likes to be described, which I think is a great term. Um, and we also have people, obviously, from ethnic, LGBTQ+, um, backgrounds, disability, and so on. So we're getting these inputs from our board, um, from that advisory board in terms of how we communicate, in terms of how we phrase things on the platform, the language that we use, um, you know, the way that things are positioned and so on. Because, yeah, I completely agree. Like, it cannot cannot just be our opinions that, that are fueling this. So let's talk about diversity. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about it? Um and how it's evolved and have you pivoted and, and where you're up to now with it? Yeah, sure. So Diversely is a platform that aims to solve two business challenges. The first is helping businesses understand exactly how diverse they are. Um, and we, we have a, a data and analytics um, report that plugs into um, company uh, public data that helps assess diversity um, across age, gender, and ethnicity, because what we found originally was that businesses, you know, simply don't know how or cannot measure this. They just have a bunch of Excel spreadsheets or, you know, HR systems, but they haven't tracked and measured their current employee um, data. And if you don't know where you're starting from, it's very difficult to understand whether you're making progress or not. Um, so that's where we start with, with many businesses um, the second problem is um, how do businesses improve their internal diversity? How do they go about attracting more diverse candidates to the top of their funnel, to their pipeline? Because if you're not starting at the very beginning, then you're really not able to solve the problem. Um, so our tools um, enable businesses to attract more diverse talent through remo removing bias in the hiring process. Um, and we started sourcing um, and we've developed three AI-driven bias-free hiring tools that specifically um, help with that and basically take unconscious bias and human bias. Everybody has it. It's just one of those things. I have it. You have it. You know, it's nothing to be ashamed of um, out of the process so that you're basically finding the best candidate for the role. So we're in the year 2021. And um, diversity inclusion probably come a long way in the past 20, 30, 50 years. What do you think are some of the, the challenges that businesses are, are still facing and, and what, needs to, what needs to change? I think one of the key challenges um, is around measurement. Um, you know, what, what we've certainly found is that um, although 80% of the businesses that, that we speak to, and actually this is a LinkedIn statistic, uh, want to do something around diversity and inclusion, and 65% are 
spending time and money on doing so. So whether that's through training, whether it's through hiring, whether it's through reports um, or whatever it might be for their business, only five cents are able to measure the impact of what they're actually putting in place, which means that they have no idea whether they're making any progress towards any goals or whether their goals are even realistic. Um, so, you know, the way in which we approach this is to really underlie the entire platform and the diversity approach with data and analytics to help businesses to track and measure their progress um, over time from wherever they are. Um, and I think that's really where we will see DNI moving towards. You know, previously it was about a statement, it was about potentially hiring somebody, it was about some training. Um, but if you're not able to demonstrate that you're making genuine changes, whether that be, uh, you know, within your current workforce, your board, um, the way that your business is structured, or, or even kind of the physical office space that you're offering, you know, if your business doesn't have access for disabled people, for example, um, if you're not taking into account um, sexuality of your employees, if you're not and this is not the case everywhere in the world, obviously, unfortunately. Um, and if you're not um, representative of your local population in terms of race and ethnicity, and you can't say that you're going through a bias-free hiring process so that you're inclusive um, when you're tackling these problems, then, you know, we've already seen there's there's backlash, not just internally, but, but externally as well and from shareholders very interesting so board members and senior management they need not only the qualitative but the quantitative data to help make those decisions to grab changes exactly and I think you know that's that you know that's really the question that we get from our clients and from our prospective clients is is how can you help us track this how can you help us prove that we have a you know a bias-free hiring process and probably 50% of the businesses we work with are recruitment companies um, so agencies and RPOs and so on, because they are being mandated by their clients to find diverse shortlists. How do they do that? How do they prove that what they're doing and where they're looking um, are, is, is, is best, really? Um, you know, we provide over 600 recommended job boards of, um, you know, places where underrepresented talent is 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 hanging out essentially. So whether it's people with disability, whether it's older people, younger people, um, you know, there are job boards all over the world, niche job boards that serve these communities. If as a hiring manager, you're not tapping into those pools, um, then how do you know that you're attracting the most diverse candidates to your pipeline? Fascinating. And you're using artificial intelligence, correct? Exactly. Um, so everything is programmed. Um, all three tools actually um, are programmed through AI. So we AI. So we have a, a job advice analyzer which highlights non-inclusive um, language and structure and helps you change um, that language and structure into a more inclusive job ad. We have the job board recommender, as I mentioned, and you can post directly out from the platform once you've connected your own um, the job boards that you you have a, a subscription with. And lastly, we have a, a candidate anonymizer. So everyone that comes back into the platform is treated exactly the same. You know, the candidate journey is just as important here. Um, and their profiles are anonymized with their permission. So that you just get, as, as a hiring manager, 
um, a, a profile that highlights skills rather than a name or a school or a university or an age, you know, things that are really not relevant to whether that person can do the job or not. Fantastic. I read once um, about artificial intelligence. It's only as good or as mm. effective as the person building it. So yeah. I'm assuming your team is diverse in building the AI. <laughs> it's, you know what? It, it's not about that. It's about the data that you feed it. So the team itself is is has no real relevance aside from the fact they have to be qualified to do the job, of course. Uh, it's not a job I could do, that's for sure. Um, but no, we, we take data. So we're scientifically backed from the University of Nottingham and that data is scientific data that's been gathered um, over nearly four years. Um, global job ad data and that's what's used to feed our algorithms and that um, that AI is updated on a regular basis um, and you know it will learn as it goes along but but certainly there have been mistakes in the past I think there's some well-documented cases um, for, from big tech companies who have got this disastrously wrong so you know we're not the first movers in this space and thankfully so we've we've got these case studies to learn from um, and yeah, so far so good. I mean, we're having some great results attracting up to 70% more diverse candidates um, to pipelines. Fantastic. So you, you've had an incredible amount of momentum in the past year. Um, what's in the pipeline for the next 12 months? Mm -hmm. Good question. So we're about two weeks away from launch. I'm not sure when this um, podcast will, will go out, but uh, we're launching at the start of Q3 2021. Um, we have around 20 clients who have been going through our platform over the last month, um, you know, ironing out those last minute glitches, which there always are. And actually, in, in any tech, even established tech that I use, there's still glitches. So, you know, that's just par for the course, I think. Um, and yeah, in the next uh, in the next 12 months, um, we will be rolling out um, across Australia, the UK, parts of Europe and the US. Um, and, and the reason that we see those as our key markets is because that's really where, um, you know, the force is coming from, um, where change is concerned um, for d &I. I think there is a huge amount of interest globally in this. Um, is there a huge amount of push to, to spend money on it? You know, is there the budget in every single territory to solve the problem? Is there enough of a um, enough of a push internally. Not everywhere, I'll be honest. And I think having worked um, in this space globally now for about six years, there is a definite maturity continuum, let's say, um, you know, across the world. And some region, regions are only just waking up to it. Some regions are, are purely focused on gender. Um, but when I talk about and when I talk to clients in, in Australia, the US and the UK, it's really the full picture. You know, we focus on five elements of diversity, um, including orientation and disability. Um, and, and you really need to be seeing the full picture. So, so that's where the, the tech and the, the, the real solution is, um, we see huge pickup. Excellent. The past what, 15 months um, with COVID has mm. been incredibly challenging. Um, and now people working from home. Do you think this has People have taken, companies have taken a few steps back, back in terms of their diversity and inclusion agenda. And do you think this has negatively impacted um, women, uh, people mm. with disabilities? Mm. I actually have a completely contrary view on that. And I, I did, um, I wrote a piece at the very beginning of the pandemic, which I still absolutely 
would would swear by. Um, and, and my view is that the last 50 months has actually propelled DNI forward, um, you know, by light years. And the reason that I think that is not just because of the movements, you know, like Black Lives Matter and Love is Love and um, even Me Too and things like that that have come out of, of the US and probably the UK um, and have made companies sit up and, and notice this stuff. You know, you can no longer get away with um, uh, certainly as a big company uh, with not taking these things on board and actually doing something about them. But also, I just think from an employee perspective, the world has really opened up. And one of the things that I argued for um, very, very strongly when I had Hopscotch was an idea of flexible working. And flexible working to me doesn't just mean, you know, coming in a bit later or leaving a bit earlier. It means genuine flexibility. It means working when when you can work, when you want to work, when you're mentally capable of working um, wherever you want to work as far as possible. It doesn't apply to everybody. If you're an airline pilot, it ain't going to be possible, right? I mean, you've got to be on that plane. But um, for many people around the world, um, I think once the whole schooling situation calms down, um, for women, it will be, and it has been already, a very um, positive move. I think there was an announcement in the last 24, 48 hours from the UK government um, to make flexible working, um, you know, mandatory, essentially, unless there is a very, very good reason why, as a business, you can't offer it. It has to be simply a part of what you do as a company. Um, and that basically means that women... Um, or whoever is taking care of the children. And I do not think that should always have to be women. And I'm sure you would agree with me having three kids yourself. Um, but, um, you know, whoever it is that, that's taking care of the kids is able to share that responsibility, you know, and is able to um, work around the various, various responsibilities that they have. I also think from a time zone perspective and from a location perspective, it's opened up. We know businesses are hiring based on time zone now, not on location. It doesn't matter if you're in Paris or not. If you're in that right time zone, um, then you can apply to work for the company. So it's opening up opportunities to people in different areas of the world. And I think also, you know, as you mentioned, people with disabilities, again, um, you know, an office may not be set up if um, you are in a wheelchair, for example, it may not be set up for you. If you um, have problems with vision or impaired hearing, it may not be set up well for you. But working from home, you have everything that you need. Um, and so I think just that, that change um, in the way that companies are employing people has made a huge leap forward for, for diversity and inclusion. And, you know, time will tell whether it continues, but I think the signs are pretty good. So something positive has come out of COVID. <laughs> 100%. I think there is so much positive to come out of this pandemic. Um, we are still in the depths of it in many parts of the world. And, you know, you certainly cannot ignore that. And there have been a huge amount of negatives as well. But it feels like something has shifted. And it feels as though, you know, people have woken up to different ways of doing things, you know, better ways of doing things that otherwise might have taken five or 10 years to, to achieve. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, um, Helen. Um, best of luck for thank the launch. You. 
and <laughs> um, this exciting um, project. Um, again, thank you very much for your time. Um, for all of you listening, thank you for joining us and, and take care.